It's 8pm, Tuesday, January the 21st, 2020 and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on this evening's programme we get a taste of what is happening in the Rebel County thanks to my visit to Cork City last week. When I was there I met Avril Alshar Howe, Susan Robbins Fehali and Ashleen Moore. But before we hear more let me tell you how you can get in touch with me here at the Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So Cork has been described as the food capital of Ireland. It has Michelin star restaurants, craft brewers, cheese and charcuterie makers, an incredible market and award-winning food producers. I paid a visit last week and met a trio of Cork food champions. First up, it was a very welcome catch-up with Avril Alshar Howe from Caherbeg Free Range Pork and Ross Carberry Recipes, who is no stranger to best possible taste. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Avril, it's great to see you again. It's been a while. It has. All the way from Dingle last year. I know, <laughs> yes. And of course, so much is happening in your business. It's a very much a family business, but I'm going to get you to go back to the beginning and how it all began. It all began with my husband and I buying a 17-acre swamp for holidays, weekends and retirement. No plans to go into food business. His background is printing and stationery. I grew up on a mixed farm, but I was never going to be the farmer. And uh, two years down, we... Um, three years. We started in 1994, we bought the place. 1997, we got a few pigs, outdoor pigs, and we still have free-range outdoor pigs. As far as I know, we have the oldest Irish herd of outdoor pigs now. And then in 2000, uh, Willie began processing meat. Uh, 2001, we took on a second brand, Ross Carberry Recipes. Carberry free-range pork is meat from our own herd of free-range outdoor pigs. Ross Carberry Recipes, we source pork and beef locally and we buy that in and we process it in our own on-farm processing unit. And I'd imagine you're very particular about where you source it from. Very, very particular. Particular about the quality. Uh, so much so that we don't rely on people to deliver to us. We go and collect the meat ourselves. And it's either my husband, Willie, myself or William, my eldest, generally collect at a pinch, Morris, who's really in charge of our production unit, he would go on the road as well, but he's full-time in the production area. And the product range then is quite extensive now. There's sausages, there's pudding, there's steaks. There's uh, Biltong, which has been developed by my youngest, uh, Morris. He's still the youngest to win an award in Blossom Heron, uh, something which we are very, very proud of. And... Um, William worked with his dad to produce, uh, to develop and produce uh, Ross Carberry gluten-free pudding. And he has won um, gold with the gluten-free black in France in the biggest European black pudding competition. It wasn't a special gluten-free competition. It was up against everything, including ours. Uh, so that's good. Uh, we've got a, a number of awards, over 40 awards since 2004 uh, between business, product and personal. So we've got a, a, we're sort of focused on quality and the slogan is obsessed with quality. It's either right or it's wrong. There's always advantages and disadvantages to working with family, but it certainly sounds that from your perspective, the youth in the family have brought new products to mm-hmm. the portfolio, such as the biltong trends, such as the gluten-free. So it's all added to the business. Absolutely. And uh, I suppose... Willie and I have always, food has always uh, been very, very central to what we, even when we met and we weren't in food business, 
food. It was, you know, cooking together. It was eating. It was eating out. It was very, very important. And I think we've passed that love of food and quality food onto our kids. Um, and they, uh, they're like all our steaks are hand cut. And it's William or Morris choose the cuts. I mean, it's not, it's not a, just a case of any old thing will do. They are looking at the quality all the way. We do uh, a gluten-free beef burger now as well. And again, they are made to order. They're not, it's not a factory. It's a family. It's very much artisan. Yes. So that very. means it's probably very labour intensive as well. Yes, but it's labour intensive. But knowing at the end of the day that the quality is there and that there are people um, such as the Market Lane Group who recognise the quality of what we do and are delighted to work with us and we're thrilled to work with them. I mean, it's yes, I started with um, Castle Cafe, but William has developed the relationship with the chefs in the group, which is, I think it's, it's brilliant just to see that, I suppose, handover um, and giving the boys the chance to develop their own expertise. Uh, things that, I mean, I'm not an expert on beef, but they are. And they are working at it and work hard at it. We're meeting today at the premises of one of your customers. And in terms of that portfolio of customers, is it mostly Cork, Munster? Like what parts of the country are you available in? We're available in uh, Super Value, in a number of Super Values in Kerry and Cork. Um, a few independents and Super Value Mount Marion in Dublin and Ardkeen stores in County Waterford. Uh, we look to expand, obviously, all the time. But again, it's and and the, there are a few butchers um, around the country who are also taking our products, particularly the pudding. And uh, it's very much quality over yes. quantity, and it's yes. those speciality food stores and butchers yes. that, that you sell to. Yes, very much so. The ones who who know what they want and expect to get what they request. Now, you mentioned one of the European awards there, and I know one of the times that we spoke in the past, you were made a dame, is that right? That's right, yes. Uh, I'm a dame of uh, Le Camarderie de Van Goustier de Dauché de Lenson. Oh, you'll have to translate that for us <laughs> into English. That was very, very, very good French. Merci. Yeah. Um, it's, the, uh, it's the White Pudding and Speciality Meat Competition, which is held in Lenson in Normandy every October and uh, we have the distinction actually now of all four family members our members have been uh, intronized is the word sworn in as uh, knights of that uh, fraternity which is very very special I mean you know my husband is uh, was sworn in as a knight of um, uh, Le Confrérie de Chevalier de Goudbedin who organised the black pudding competition uh, again in Normandy in a place called Mortano Perche. But uh, they, for all four of us being intronised as uh, members of our, of our fraternity is their recognition of what we're doing. Um, and they recognised that William and Morris's contribution to what we were doing was as important as William and, and me. I think people would think that black pudding, white pudding, it's very much an Irish thing. No. But obviously that's not the case <laughs> no. if there is a, an organisation in France that is very much about promoting it. These fraternities were set up in the late 50s, early 60s because uh, people in the, in the region saw local small businesses disappearing off the face with the appearance of hypermarkets and they wanted to keep traditions alive. So in these fraternities, many of the people are not actually producers. What they are is passionate. I mean, you talk to the people from the White Pudding and Speciality Meat Fraternity, and they are as knowledgeable as any butcher or chef about what about the um, the products. And they will talk all day about the products. And when uh, they came over, they. Uh, they've been over to Ireland twice and when they came over the last time it was an absolute pleasure to show them a bit of West Cork all the way down as far as Mizzenhead and that's, you know, they wanted to taste the local food this is what they want, they want to know where is the meat coming from, where is the local produce and I love talking about food anyway so it works out very, very well And you're part of West Cork Farm Tours so that passion right. is being really indulged by doing that Yes, um, West Cork 
farm tours uh, arose out of the fact that Willie and I won the um, Farming Innovation and Enterprise Award in the West Cork uh, Farm Awards a few years ago. And we've now there's ourselves and three dairy farmers and all four of us were passionate about what we do. We're passionate about the, the quality of the food we produce. Uh, the three dairy farmers are also award winners and they are also suppliers to Carberry Group who produce um, award-winning cheese and uh, alcohol actually as well. <laughs> so it's, um, and we love, we love what we're doing and we love showing people our part of West Cork. And Where do the visitors come from? Are they Irish? Are they international? Is it a mix? We have a mix. I've had Americans, Chinese, um, one of the dairy farmers had South African farmers, who dairy farmers. Now, some of the groups will come, and a lot of them are speciality. So they're looking, for example, they want to visit dairy farms. So there's no point in them coming to me, because I'm pigs and trees and meat. So they go to the dairy farms, and they are these are people who want to learn. They want to compare and contrast. Um, in our side, we have now got a 58-acre farm, 50 acres under trees. So we have visitors who come who want to see what we're doing as because we've planted agroforestry, because we've got uh, spruce plantation, because we've done a range, we're doing hedging and nut trees and a whole variety of stuff, and they want to see what we're doing. Um, so it's horses for courses. It's interesting. It, and it's always great, I think, to, to bring people to your enterprise because they see it from a different perspective than you see it. And I think sometimes what we take very much for granted, others can appreciate more. And the forest bathing is something that you've added to your portfolio <laughs> of skills. And you must, it's something I'd never heard about until fairly recently. I'd seen it on social media. Just explain what forest bathing is. Um, it's, it's developed in Japan. And it's called Shindun Yoku and it's forest bathing is a direct translation of Shindun Yoku and even though bathing nobody's stripping off it's actually opening your senses to the benefits you'll get from being amongst trees it's a process so you don't just wander and sit under a tree and look at it there's actually um, a whole process to learning about it and you could walk the same path every day and you will see something new you will hear something, you will feel something. Um, it would be what I would call a wellness therapy. And it's really about looking after our physical and mental health, our emotional health, um, as a prevention rather than waiting till we've, we've got some problem and we find we're overwhelmed. Is it similar to mindfulness and meditation, being more appreciative of your be. surroundings? It would be, it would be. Um, but there's also actual... Uh, scientific proof that trees give off um, certain uh, I can't remember the word actually I can't pronounce the word the words scientific words don't trip off my tongue as easily as French <laughs> but it's actually proven that trees give off um, particular things that are beneficial to our physical health including um the colour green actually has a, a an effect on our blood pressure. And how did you first come across forest bathing? I started because uh, 2018 was our first year in uh, West Cork Farm Tours. And I was aware of people coming to the farm. And our yard is quite a busy yard with people coming and going and the processing unit. And um, my husband has a firewood business as well. And I was aware of people, they were... They were stressed. They were checking what time they'd be back in the yard before we'd ever even left. And by the time we had wandered through the trees, up through the pigs, it was almost like they could have quite happily sat there for the rest of the day. And I started to research off, off my own bat because I knew that it was having a good effect on me going down amongst the trees, just taking 10 minutes out and just being there. And... Um, I came across it, so I started to work on it. I met uh, a trainer, uh, one of only three who's qualified in Europe in training people as uh, in this therapy, and asked her to come down and do a site visit, and I then gathered a group of people, and we received um, sponsorship uh, funds from CCAD, which is the local, Leo or local leader group, and uh, for our training. And that's it. So there's nine of us because I believe in collaborations. 
so that if somebody, you know, with West Cork Farm Tours, there's four of us. So somebody is always available. And the same with uh, the forest bathing. It'll be in different woodlands and along the Wild Atlantic Way in West Cork. But it's the first collaboration of its type. And where do you see it going now and fitting in with your existing business? Oh, this is me in retirement. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, where, it's, where it's fitting in is it's another opportunity for people to come and see a working farm and see how we take time out and how we appreciate what we have all around us. Um, some people find it very interesting when they visit us to discover what sort of hours we keep. Um, you know, when somebody says, I can't come at the regular time for a farm tour, but could you sort of fit me in earlier? And I'm going, right, what time? Well, you know, maybe nine o'clock, and I'm going, right. Because we get up a lot earlier than that. I'd say so, yeah. I'd <laughs> so, say so it's that. It's There's that, no regular hours no, in agriculture. But that's whole experience of people being able to come and seeing what can be done. There's the other thing of what can be done in a very small enterprise. It's not a case of putting all our eggs in one basket, but it's it's how much we can do to complement, and everything complements everything. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Everything does complement everything, mm. and it all works together. Yeah. There's great synergy there. Yes. And it sounds like it's a nice way to spend your day. It's brilliant. It's absolutely There's great brilliant. variety there, and <laughs> sure, right. you, you don't know what you're going to be doing next Tuesday or Wednesday. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Low boredom threshold. Yeah. Low boredom exactly. threshold. But yeah. you know, in the meantime, with the lads taking over more and more, I can see they won't need me in a few years. Uh, I don't think that'll be the case, Avril. <laughs> I think there'll be a van there. It'll always be going somewhere and they'll need somebody to drive it and, and different events to go out and do tastings. And I think that's something that you'll always enjoy oh, yeah. being a part yeah. of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But you have to you have to give the lads their responsibility you know they're taking on responsibility so I must give them room as my husband is doing so Willie's developing firewood business he's working more amongst the trees I work better with people um, and we're the two it just means that Willie and I are there as backup when they are still in when they get their independence we're still there as backup for them Fantastic. but we're uh, we're still doing our own thing as well the two boys are taking on more and more responsibility and they are developing their own products william in particular works with chefs and would be in touch with them so when they're looking for example for um a steak and he will talk with them you know how how long do you want it aged for they can do a steak like this, which is a 108-day-old steak. And you can see the colour difference between that and the other one, which is like 40 days. Um, and it's that, working with chefs, it's, it's another form of collaboration to get the best product quality for their customers and eventually for ours. And how important is it to you that the chef name checks you on the menu? Because I think that's becoming increasingly important that the diner wants to know, well, where did this steak come from? What farm did it come from? Or who are you buying from? Is it Irish, for example? Very, very interesting you should say that. Just before Christmas, I got a phone call from a farmer who had eaten in Market Lane restaurant the previous night and had seen our name on the menu and he rang me to check where we supplying and what we were supplying and the quality uh, which I found so interesting uh, you know it was a 30 minute phone call but it was so relevant and that somebody cares he cares about his animals that he's producing and he wasn't in the beef industry but he cared and he wanted to see that where it uh, company was name checked particularly for meat that it was what it said on the can well it's been lovely to catch up with you today thank you. thanks so much for coming in to meet me and of course continued success thank you very much indeed if anybody would like to know more about what we do um talk to william or morris on uh facebook page of ross carberry recipes or you can get onto the website uh a lot of people spell recipes wrong so it's r-e-c-i-p-e-s amazing number of people who put in an extra i and um and that's and that's or you can get me on twitter um and you can get william on twitter as well 
Um, so we'd be more than welcome to give us a shout. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight the focus is on Cork. Just before the break, Avril from Cahirbeg Free Range Pork and Ross Carberry Recipes shared details about her award-winning business and plans for the future. And if you are just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come tonight, we'll be meeting award-winning chef Ashleen Moore. But before that, you heard Avril talking about adding a gluten-free product to her portfolio. And a few years ago, according to Board Bia Research, 20% of Irish people shop for gluten-free food regularly. And at the time that that research was released, the gluten-free market in Ireland was estimated to be worth some 66 million euros. What an incredible some. One company that is catering for that growing market is Wildberry Bakery, which is run by Susan Robbins Fehali and her husband. I met Susan to find out more. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Susan, you're from Wildberry Bakery in West Cork, and it's a specialist bakery because everything is gluten free. That's right. So, gluten free is very topical at the moment. Just explain, what what is gluten and where do people find gluten? What foods do they usually find them in? Because I think there's a lot of misinformation about it. There is. I suppose, very simply, gluten is found in most bakery products. It's a naturally occurring um, element of, of wheat. Um, so it's found in bread, in, it's found in cakes, it's found in sauces, anything that, that holds a flour. It's gluten is going to be there. And why did you decide that the gluten-free market was a market that you wanted to get involved in? Was it because of a personal reason? No, absolutely not. We initially, we had a ba- we had a cafe and we were requested, gluten-free cakes were requested, they were looked for. We couldn't find anything that we would happily sell. Um, so we started making our own flour-free um, cakes. They took off People were interested in, other people were interested in, in, in taking them to supply them themselves. So we took the decision at that stage to close our cafe and put in a designated gluten-free bakery. Now, it's interesting that you said about having a cafe because your background is in design, I believe, and your indeed. husband is an accountant. So uh, how did you get from design and accountancy to having a cafe? Marriage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, I did a degree in ceramic design, and after that, I was an art teacher. I met my husband, um, who had taken over, had left accountancy and taken over a family business, um, which was a shop, a real typical West Cork shop, selling everything from a, a bull's nose ring to a pair of wellies to, to your baked beans. So we took a relook at the business. I had had my third child decided that I needed to stay at home we re-looked at the business while I don't have a background in food I suppose my mother was a big house cook in the UK Um, so food was always something which was very familiar Um, the kitchens that she worked in were always very familiar to me um, as a child so it sort of kind of came naturally Um, I think the art school training I gave up rolling porcelain and started rolling pastry. Okay. Did you um, grow up in the UK? And I did. I grew up in, in Bath um, and I studied here in Cork in the Crawford, in the Crawford Art School. Um, so yeah, we, we revamped our shop, reimagined what it could be and uh, we had a cafe, Rivling Cafe. Did you find that your design background was actually very useful it is. That in terms of the creativity side of the business? Absolutely. Um, I think part of our training was 
the mantra was anything's possible if you put your mind to it and put your imagination to it. And I was actually talking about this with my husband only at the weekend. Um, yeah, absolutely. Use your. We, we just used our imagination. We used the skills that we had. We honed the skills that we had. Um, and yeah, yeah, not afraid to tackle a, a project. <laughs> so you had the cafe and then you more or less changed it into a production facility. We did exactly that. We closed down for six months um, with the help of the uh, Enterprise Board and West Cork Leader. We literally revamped it. So it's state of the state of the art bakery. Um, and it's the Wildberry. Wildberry Bakery. Where yeah. did the name come from? Truly. Yes. We couldn't, <laughs> truly. We couldn't decide. <laughs> so um we had a designer in just doing the logo and she just sat us down. We had a list of names in front of us and she said, lads, you're pathetic. We're going for this one. And that's how it was. So. Okay, so the Wildberry Bakery. And what year was that established? Uh, 19, sorry, 19, 2014. 2014. So yeah. you're you're still in your infancy. You're only we six years this year. Completely, yeah. yeah, but it has gone strength to strength. It certainly looks sad. It looks like that from this array of fabulous cakes that I can see in front of me. So talk me through some of your award-winning cakes to start off with. Okay, we've been fortunate, I have to say, in... We've been incredibly fortunate. Um, in 2015, um, we entered the Irish Quality Food Awards, um, which we we won. We won the Small Producer of the Year, which was at that stage it was a Tesco listing. Um, we won the Food Service section for sweet treats, and we won the Gluten Free section. So we were sort of incredibly surprised. And was that for one specific product, or for was one it a cake? Few? It was just for one, one cake. cake. And what yeah. cake was it's that? It's an orange and almond. Um, which I have here in front of me. So that has won consistently with the Irish Quality Food and the Free From Awards um, for the last number of years. So we... This is the jewel in your crown then? It is, but we have now developed lots more jewels. (laughs) You have, yes, from this selection in front of me here. So the the orange and almond was the the initial, the signature, the flagship one that really put you on the journey. And what came after it? After that, we um, developed our carrot cake. um, And last year, we developed a Christmas cake. I suppose the mantra of the bakery is that it cannot taste gluten-free. It has to taste as good to the gluten intolerant person as to their their friend or their family member it has to be it has to suit everybody not interested in something which doesn't and what are the challenges then whenever you cut the gluten out how do you get that flavor and taste into it what's the secret (laughs) we're incredibly careful about the ingredients that we use um if you saw my store cupboard it the ingredients are really simple. We don't use preservatives. We don't use additives. Everything is fresh. Everything is natural. So when it comes to, to, to knocking gluten out, um, you have to be very, very careful. You don't want to go down the road of strange-tasting flowers or, you know, weird combinations that can be bought. So we stick to um, nuts. We stick to polenta. Very fine grades. Very expensive, unfortunately. But... It's good quality, good quality ingredients, um, good quality cakes. And you get what you pay for. Absolutely. Small slices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quality over um, quantity. Exactly. And in in terms then of your customer portfolio, you ha- you're selling to some of the biggest retailers in the country. We are. In terms of retail, we, again, through the Irish Quality Food Awards, um, we one small producer of the year in 2018 and that was a Dunstall's Simply Better listing so we launched in October 2019 um, our Simply Better carrot cake which can be found in all good Dunstall's in the chill cabinet next to their desserts and we started with Café Sol which again is, is a Dunn's cafe um, where we do three different cakes, a carrot cake slice a lemon drizzle and a tunisine orange 
products. So we also supply Avoca, and Avoca are very important customers to us. Um, and we supply two loaf cakes to them, and we supply a small selection pack. We also do gluten-free scones, and their retail or their uh, food service side, we do slices as well. Fantastic. And if you had to choose one of your products, which one is your favourite product? My Christmas cake. The I Christmas cake. It. You love Christmas yeah, cake. And I, I would imagine then there's a certain time of year that you're very busy getting geared up to cater for that market. Absolutely. Because that's not a week before no, it has to be on the shelf. Like, how long does it take for your Christmas cake? We'll start at the end of June. Very early, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Wow. It's a long process. Um, the fruit has to soak. It has to It has to take its time. Um, enjoying itself. It's bathed in whiskey. <laughs> and that recipe is a recipe that you've developed personally. It's actually a mix of my mother's recipe. And we've had to change. Obviously, we've had to change bits and pieces out of it because it's, it's, it's gluten-free. We've... Um, I suppose modernised it slightly by adding um, things like figs, dried figs. Very hard to get a very soft, nice dried fig, but we've managed it. Um, it's a beautiful recipe. It's a really, really, really good cake. Um, at the moment, we're, we're selling it as a jewelled Christmas cake, um, and that's been sold in Dunn stores and in the Alternative Bread Company uh, here in the English Market in Cork. Um, it's a jewelled Christmas cake, though. I'm hoping for next year we'll have a fully iced edition. God, we've that to look forward to. And it's, I think it's great that you're talking about your mother there and she obviously was an inspiration to you growing up in the kitchen. Is that something that you've passed down to your own three children? It is. Um, my three um, my three children, neither or none of them have actually gone into the business, but they're all incredibly keen cooks. And my daughter is a very fine baker. So you never know. It's still early days. It's still early days, though. I think, I think a profession will go elsewhere. <laughs> well, it's always an advantage and a disadvantage having family in a business. Because I was yeah. talking to Avril from Ross Carberry Recipes there about how she has her two sons in the business and the, the new energy that they've brought to it. So there's there's always great benefit from it but the timing is very important and it has to be right and in terms of your vision for the business going forward what are your aims and objectives for this year and say for the next five years for this year we need to work very carefully with our retail partners um, a new product and it needs to be supported um, we're hoping that we'll have a second product with with um, them perhaps by the end of the year or next year. We need to work very carefully on our recipes. Um, you need to make sure that your product is always relevant, that it is still, while it will have a foot in tradition, that the other foot is innovation. So we're constantly looking for different ideas that fit with us with our ethos and no doubt to win a few more awards that would be nice absolutely well thanks so much for coming to meet me today and for showcasing this fantastic range i'm looking forward to having a cup of coffee now and tasting the the orange and almond cake and continued success thank you and if people want to find out more please um pop on to our facebook page um which is wildberry bakery fantastic thanks so much susan thank you You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight the focus is on a trio of culinary heroes from Cork. Just before the break we heard about the gluten-free bakery, Wildberry Bakery, from Susan and by golly that almond and orange cake was just 
divine, lip-smackingly divine. Earlier in the programme, Avril from Cahirbeg Free Range Pork and Ross Carby Recipes shared details about her award-winning business and plans for the future and we have one more guest for you tonight. But if you're just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. So Cork City's culinary reputation has been boosted by the opening of a restaurant on the bustling Oliver Plunkett Street. It's called Goldie and it has garnered great reviews since it opened last autumn. Head chef Ashleen Moore was recently voted Best Chef in Ireland by the McKenna Guides, a major accolade for a 25-year-old chef. And Goldie was the venue for meeting my previous two guests this evening and of course an ideal opportunity to meet Ashleen who has spoken to me by phone here on the Best possible taste in the past, so it's great to meet her in person. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I think it's lovely to meet you in person at last. Exactly. We spoke on the phone a couple of years ago about the chef sessions and your career has just gone from strength to strength since then. So I want to find out a bit more about you, your cork born and bred and you say you'll Indeed. never leave no never leave never leave so you studied here in CIT what did you study um, I did culinary studies for two years that's a full time course um, and then I did a bachelor of arts in culinary arts for two years part time okay. so I was working full time after my first year in college, I okay. I haven't left kitchen since. And as a chef, then working in the kitchen, you've worked in some of Cork's best places. Arguably, yes. <laughs> um, I worked in Fenske for three years. Um, I did a bit of moonlighting in different restaurants in Cork, which I won't name. But um, Elbow Lane then for two and a half years, and now we're here. So. And here is Goldie. Exactly. So tell us about Goldie. It's a collaboration between yourself and Stephen Q. Yeah. So Stephen would be the best chef I've ever worked with. Um, or for, now with. Um, so yeah, Goldie is a fish restaurant, seafood. Um, we buy all our fish from day boats. So we don't order anything. So what we get in is what we use and what we... We write our menu every day according to that. So Wow, so that must be very exciting when you open the back door to see what they've brought. Exactly, yeah. I think um, limitations brings great creativity. So, you know, we might get two crayfish, we might get six mackerel, we might get one ling. You know, we don't order anything, so... And what's the most unusual fish that they've landed? Um, we got a rock herring in, which I had never seen before. And we did, it wasn't kind of labelled. Sometimes the fish is labelled, sometimes it's not. So there was a lot of phone calls to try to figure out what it was. You but to yeah, it. Exactly, but it wasn't there. I think, um, like, a lot of the fish that we're getting in, you know, not that you're necessarily taught in college which fish is what, but, you know, you wouldn't see in the English market sometimes or you wouldn't see on other menus and restaurants. And is that a big fish? It's about this size. Okay. So at first I thought it was a wild sea bass. Okay. Which I was happy and sad about because we can't serve Irish well sea bass in Ireland, you know. Um, but yeah, it was delicious. We get fish like amazing pollock, which is totally underused, megram, gurnard, mackerel. And what did you do with the... We pickled it. You pickled yeah. it. One of the chefs who works here with me is from Latvia. So we kind of... I have one Latvian chef and one Italian chef. And I'm obviously from Cork, so we... Uh, the cuisines all differ every single That's day. You know, brilliant. our staff, yeah, our staff food is very interesting every day. Brilliant. But um, yeah, it's a, it's with, with when like I mean, we get so many different fish in that you kind of need everyone's ideas, you know, uh, to be able to write a menu in one day because you know you might have four hours, five hours from the time the fish gets in. And what do you find is the most popular fish? To with, be honest, with diners. That's a hard one. I mean, if it's monkfish, it's always going to sell. Monkfish? Yeah. Really? Dover sole as well, which I love. Um, but I, I find that people will kind of go for anything, any fish that they've never heard of once the garnish or the sauce are it seems accessible. Yeah. So I think that's something we really try to focus on here is, you know, offering 
quality at the right price with the right size of a portion of fish but to be able to sell that to a customer I think you need to to make something on the plate very safe you know so we serve fish with a chicken butter sauce so people who traditionally kind of are a bit weary of eating fish they're like oh chicken I like chicken you know that and might not be on that menu there. And there's no meat on the menu at all. We do chicken from chicken. Yes, from Carglina Farm in Mallow. So Tony, he's brilliant. Uh, we used to get ducks off him for a long time in Elbow Lane. He's just started doing chickens. So they're um, Ross, they're broiler, amazing. I had a chicken for Christmas Day from him instead of turkey. It was fantastic. And I'm interested to find out what led you down this career path as being a chef because yeah. I think the industry gets a lot of bad PR the hours are long you're on your feet, it's very demanding now I think there's definitely a move to change the conditions and the conditions are improving all the time but I've always perceived being a chef very much as a vocation like teaching, you're either good at it or you're not good at it yeah. you either love it or you don't love it and any job is a very difficult job to do all exactly. day, every day if you don't love it <clears throat> completely so who or what inspired you to be a chef? Um, well I think on that if you don't enjoy cooking and you work in the restaurant industry you should get out as soon as possible because it's certainly not worth it you know, I, I love my job. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I really couldn't. I don't even know where I'd begin if I wasn't able to cook. Um, yeah, my mom always said to me, you know, get a job you like because you spend the best part of your life in work. But I don't feel like I work, you know. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's a great way to be. I'm very lucky, yeah. And as a child, were you often found in the kitchen? Is um, your mother a good cook? She is, yeah. I think I'm more of a... I liked to just mess with things, you know. Um, but I think from probably the age of 16, I kind of knew, from watching Jamie Oliver, I was like, he's cool, that he looks is. great. <laughs> I think he, he probably gets a lot of bad press sometimes, but I think he's definitely motivated so many people into this industry. You know, in a TV sense, I know maybe not, but, you know, I think he made it cool to cook, you know. I think there was a certain generation where people were like, are you, are you actually? Like, when I was in school, even, and that wife left school seven, eight years ago, like, they were looking at me stupid when I said I wanted to be a chef. You know, like, You've, you don't need to do that. You'll probably get, like, 500 points in your leaving cert. You know, this kind of thing. You don't need to... You don't need to work there, you know, and th- like there's no. So there was a perception there's there that there was better career choices. Out I there think there for still you. is that perception, to be honest. But uh, like, especially in a front of house point of view as well, which I think is a whole bigger issue in the industry. You know, chefs are kind of glorified to a certain extent. For what reason, I don't know. But you know, there's just as much skill and professionalism in the front of house. Absolutely. That is totally like we don't know. We talks about it. Yeah, and it's so interesting that you say that because I think we see more the likes of John Healy on the restaurant and Declan Maxwell, who was in Chapter 1 in Luna and is in Spitalfield now, who very much have made the front of house that that is a, a great career it choice is, yeah. and it is like it's one of the most important parts of the, Completely, the restaurant yeah i mean most chefs i would hope like they're not we're like we're not cooking for ourselves like we're cooking for people and it's a means of taking care of people that's what i get a kick at like people coming in here i think you know opening a restaurant was a dream come true of course and writing my own menu every day is a dream come true but the things that i thought would make me happy are not the things that made me happy at all. Like, I'm just happy that customers come in. We've had repeat customers, you know. We're open nearly four months. There's been people in here who's been in here over ten times, you know. Seeing those people come back is amazing. Pe- that The fact that people want to work here is amazing, you know. Well, let's so, talk a bit about it being a dream come true to open your own rest- restaurant because you're in your early 20s. Yep. You are very young I'm to very have realised that dream. Exactly. So what challenges did you come across? Um, I definitely have imposter syndrome every single day, which I think most people do. But uh, yeah, I definitely have that. Um, there's no book, there's no module in college that you can take for opening a restaurant. I'm just lucky that I did it with people who really know how to do it. Um, I, 
obviously it's a partnership but I've been involved in every step of the of the process you know so, so. choosing the right partner is obviously very important exactly yeah um no one's an island but definitely here you know me and Stephen are in the food perspective and we have the other business partners involved are experts in front of house and interiors as you can see here you know um and this company I was also proud to work for to be a part of and it was ridiculous um, and in the four months since you've opened you have made a huge impact with the food media yep tell me about the McKenna's guides John and Sally McKenna yeah that was amazing um I'm, I've always been such a huge fan of theirs I think what they do for Irish food is there's no comparison to them you know and they voted you chef of the year yeah no pressure where were you when you heard that and what I, was your reaction it was I, I was at home um got it sent to me via a text message I was on New Year's Eve on New Year's Eve yeah I was um, very much in shock but those things you have to read kind of ten times before you actually believe it I'd say only for there was a picture of me with the title underneath me I wouldn't have actually registered because they announced it in social media didn't they exactly yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah amazing no pressure and has that impacted on the business have you seen a lot of faces coming through the door that are here because of that um, I think the McKenna's came in November and they kind of put up a post two days afterwards and I think we got a lot from that it's, I think um, there's so much respect for the McKenna's within the trade as well that absolutely yeah um, it's huge huge deal and then other food media have been in and they've reviewed it yep. and that must be very nerve wracking it is you know um, we have an open kitchen I won't lie that I know who everybody is when they come in I do you know um, so it's just always the case that we thank people for coming you know you treat everybody the same but at the end of the day you yep. don't know what they're going to write after they've been exactly yeah um, but you know it's great to be reviewed. It's great to get reviews, whether they're good or bad. You know, there's there's lots there's lots to learn from it. So, um, I think the beauty of having a restaurant, and the beauty of this trade, is that every day is a new day, and like the goal of everybody is like, okay, we're going to get better today, tomorrow. Like it's not there is no end game with the restaurants. You know, um, it's every day. You know, you want to get better. You want to improve. You want to develop. Where we'll be next year, I don't know. If we're still here, I hope we are, but you know. Positive thinking. Exactly. Positive thinking. This time of the year, a lot of young people are looking at what they're going to do come September. So for any young person out there that is thinking about studying culinary arts, what advice would you give to them? I think... um, the culinary institutes have done a lot of work on kind of making themselves more accessible to people coming right out of school. Um, so they um, they all do open days. It's great. Uh, I know you can do kind of full time and part time and day release and all these kind of, but it really does just depend on you as a person. But like I did full time because I wanted to get it over with as soon as possible. You know, I just wanted to work in kitchens. Um, but yeah, I think. One thing I never did, because, well I did, but it, it didn't really work out for me. I handed out CVs when I was 16 in restaurants. Nobody replied to me, you know. Do you think that would be different though now if a 16-year-old came in here now with a CV? I would hire a 16-year-old in you a second. Would, 100%. You wouldn't? I would yeah. in a second. Now, obviously they can't work. They have to take more breaks and all that kind of thing. But, you know, legally if you're under 18... But I would 100% hire a 16-year-old. So if there's any 16-year-olds listening... My door is open. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think getting experience is very exactly, important, isn't yeah. it? Because I think sometimes you think there's something that you want to do, but until you're in that environment, you cannot be one hundred percent exactly. sure. Yeah. Uh, so get the work experience. Yeah. You would advise. I did work experience. My work experience at Ballymenu when I was sixteen, and that was a dream. You know. So yeah, I was very lucky to be able to do that then. Um, so yeah, I think you like it's such a big decision like the rest of your life even though nothing is the rest of your life but you know definitely um, getting a feel for restaurants because I think you know you can love cooking and you can love reading about books and you can love eating but like the the romance of a restaurant of working in one there's no you can't compare it to even eating in one 
you know, that camaraderie, it's amazing. Well, it sounds like you are a great ambassador, not only for the profession, but obviously for Cork as well, because you did say to me, you just love Cork, you've studied here, you work here, you've no plans to leave the city. No, no, not anytime soon. There are other things I'd like to do. I'd like to go back to college and do horticulture. Um, but And have your own market kitchen then? To Yeah, I just, I think it would definitely be something we'd like to do is have our own kind of plot of land and grow a couple of things there. Um, I, what I'm really interested in is indigenous Irish seeds um, and using plants that have always grown here rather than all the imported stuff, you know. Um, like seed savers are amazing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of something I'd like to do long term, I suppose, in my career. Well, listen, we will keep our eye on that and you must keep us updated with any future developments. In the meantime, congratulations on Goldie, a fabulous space here in Cork. And thanks very much for hosting me today to do a Cork episode of The Best Possible Taste. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Sharon. We're Goldie Dolly online. We're at Goldie Restaurant on Instagram and I'm Ashling at Goldie.ie if anyone wants to send me a CV. You'll have to let us know how that pans out. <laughs> I absolutely will. Thanks, Ashley. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great to meet Ashley in person and a huge thank you to her for allowing me to use Goldie as a recording venue and a special thank you to Sue James who coordinated my visit to Cork and organised all of the guests. So a little bit of news for you before we finish up tonight. If you are based more locally to us here at The Best Possible Taste, there's a wonderful wine evening taking place tomorrow night. That's Wednesday, January the 22nd and it's on in Adair Manor. And David Cleave was one of the world's 330 masters of wine will be there for a spectacular wine dinner showcasing six Italian wines so it sounds like a great excuse to visit the big house and then this Thursday the 23rd of January Tourism Space Live is on in Tomond Park in Limerick and that's a professional development and self-empowerment training event for business leaders in tourism and hospitality and the speaker programme includes Mary Fitzgerald from the Fitzgerald Woodlands Hotel in Adair, Tom Flavin, executive chef at the Limerick Strand Hotel, and celebrity chef Catherine Fulvio. So, a busy week to look forward to in County Limerick. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for listening and to my guests, Avril, Susan and Ashleen. Don't forget, Best Possible Taste is repeated on Wednesday mornings and podcasts are online on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. I'll be back next week. So until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. To get in touch with the best possible taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon Appetit.